0: Welcome to episode 4 of Stretchboard. Today we'll be discussing injuries in the NBA and the Bucks, And we'll have a regular segment, take it to the bank, and back in the vault. On the line we've got Peter from Toronto.
1: Yo, what up, what
0: up? Josh in Ottawa.
1: Demar
2: DeRozan is the best shooting guard in the NBA.
0: Take that back, Josh. <laughs> and uh, I'm your host, Raj, coming from Montreal. Um, so it's been a busy week in the NBA. A lot of news coming out, players coming out injured. So, Josh, I'm going to let you take it away and with this one.
2: Well, first of all, we have uh, Stephen Curry, who, um, by Steve Kerr's own words, has been ruled out of round one of the playoffs, even though Curry has not confirmed that himself. But uh, he has a, I believe it's a grade two MCL sprain. It's almost the exact same injury as what Durant had last year and almost the exact same way that Durant got injured last year except with a different clumsy Warriors big man um, <laughs> falling into his knee in <laughs> Zaza that time. And this time it's, of course, to McGee. No surprise hasn't been cut yet based on the situation. It looks like Curry's going to be out for at least four weeks, which if they're able to win in round one, which is still expected if Durant comes back healthy, he should be back hopefully by the start of round two.
0: Well, let's first get into, like, the actual incident itself. Can we all agree that it is wholeheartedly JaVale McGee's fault? Like, he is he is quite the player um, in probably all the negative senses you can imagine. But I, I blame him for Curry's injury. He was, like, completely out of control.
1: He's just a big, clumsy guy, man. I mean, we've all seen the highlight clips of him being a fool on the court, but... In terms of just controlling his body, like he's just oafish. He did, really doesn't have a good center of gravity. He doesn't really know where his limbs are going. And he clearly showed it. I mean, he just sort of just got pushed a bit and just like fully tipped over and by MCL.
2: Yeah, I feel like uh, Steve Kerr at this point just has to make it a point to not play clumsy big men with his big four for the rest of the year. I think they should just start Jordan Bell and then play small and then only play these guys in in garbage time to avoid possible injury because it seems like the only way they're not going to win the championship this year is if uh, JaVale McGee or Zaza have something to do with it
0: yeah and also just to add on to the fact that this has happened last year with Durant and Zaza and it did work out with them but at the end of the day happening two years in a row I think that it, like Steve Kirsch just really know better and of course DeVale didn't mean to do it and it's bad circumstance but man you got to feel for Steph Curry Durant when they have to deal with these big men just falling at their feet there's enough other opposition players that uh that play them tough and then they have to be worrying about their own teammates injuring them so uh, I feel bad for those guys
1: Yeah, at least with Durant last year, just after the All-Star break, right? He was out during the regular season. He didn't actually miss any playoff time. He had a few weeks before the playoffs started to come back in. With Steph now missing the first round, like, okay, say they win the first round in, like, six games because he's not around. It'll still take him, like, a game or two to get back in the game shape properly, right? It's going to take some time for him to get back into it and then even be, like, acclimated with the team again. I don't know if it's a cause for concern, to be honest, in the second round, but I don't know. Portland might have something to say about it once it comes time.
2: Yeah, at the same time, like even though uh, nobody's hoping for injuries, but now that it has happened, I think all the fans around the NBA are hoping that San Antonio gets uh, either Utah or San Antonio in the first round to give them a real scare, because I think both of those teams match up pretty well, especially if Kawhi comes back. But Utah especially with uh, you know Curry now being off the floor, like he's the biggest probably the biggest jazz killer in the NBA. So with him off the floor they can focus solely on Durant and sort of make Draymond try to beat him from the three point line if they actually play in the playoffs. So I think that's a matchup they're going to try to avoid and hope that Houston gets them instead. And again, if Kawhi comes back, then that could be a real scare because they match up really well with Golden State with Curry off the floor, who again is another guy who just destroys that team as well. I mean, he destroys most teams in the NBA, but those two specifically, like whenever they play, they have two of the best defenses in the NBA, but they have like absolutely no answer for him.
0: Yeah, for me, like I look at curry being more of an injury concern than durant was last year i think durant is a superior player i think curry does a lot in terms of spacing for that team he creates um, a lot of open shots for himself and he really is kind of instant offense Um, and not that durant can't shoulder the load he's obviously one of the best nba players uh, to play the game but i think he means more to golden state than Kevin Durant does for this team.
2: Yeah, and I think this is like a moment that a lot of NBA fans have been waiting for in seeing, you know, Durant and Golden State now that he's gonna have to face some adversity in the playoffs without having Curry in the lineup now for possibly, you know, even two rounds if again, like Peter said, he doesn't come back right away and doesn't come back healthy right away and doesn't play a lot of minutes. Like a lot is going to be on Durant's shoulders and when teams have time to prepare for a team like Golden State, they're going to be able to, you know, zone in on him. And make him make shots over defenses instead of, you know, being the full creator of the offense and having to do everything. It's going to be a lot of uh, pressure on him. And, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of NBA fans are hoping that he fails based on him going to Golden State. But it's going to be interesting to see how he shoulders everything now that he's going to have a ton of usage and uh, a ton of pressure coming his way in about four short weeks.
1: Yeah, and we'll inevitably see more of Point Draymond out there as well just to handle the rock in the first round. What can go wrong with Draymond Green handling the rock for 35 minutes a game, right?
2: He's shown he can do it in the past, but I think with him it's more so a matter of can he score enough points to supplement the rest of their lineup, because their bench hasn't been good this year, obviously, and you know that's not a huge issue for them because they have so many guys to come off the bench, and I'm sure that come playoff time these guys are going to be healthy, like Caspi and Iguodala and Livingston, who've had like very minor type of injuries. But uh, I think they really have to find another scoring source outside of Clay, and I think Draymond's going to have to be that guy. And if he's not, then they might really struggle against a team like Utah or San Antonio, who you know knows how to exploit um, offenses that are not that creative, which Bolton State may not be without stuff.
0: Do you guys think that this is going to be the injury that we all remember as a reason why Golden State didn't advance? Because I still thought that they were the favorites coming out of the West. Obviously, Houston's improved tremendously this year. Um, but with this injury, now I'm, like, even me, like, I I really don't know what's going to happen in the West. How strong is going to come back? Is he going to come back with minutes restrictions? Um, so, right now, kind of who's coming out of the West is a little in the air, and I think we're all going to come back to that three with JaVale McGee and Curry and having a lot to do with how Golden State ends up doing this year.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if it is somehow the case that Steph doesn't come back on time, or if he's delayed, or you know, if he's just not 100%, it'll be it'll be similar to two years ago again when he slipped on Monte sweat patch and then hurt himself, right? Like, the whole team's offense sort of just collapsed. And then they were relying on him when he wasn't 100%. If that becomes the case again this year, it might be a real issue for them going forward. And you know what? Houston's doing it right and they're ready to pounce as soon as they see that he's down for even slightly injured. Right? They'll, they have guys that will just exploit it constantly. So it'll be quite the issue. Yeah, it? I think
2: biggest question with them is, again, how fast they bring back Steph in terms of the minutes restrictions. Because when he comes back in the second round, if they play a you know, really tough team, then they might have to extend his minutes and overplay him, and then he might, you know, be more susceptible to injury. And uh, they might have a really tough time against whoever they're going to face in the second round if they do end up, you know, getting past the first round, which they should, depending on the matchup. Obviously, I mean, they're still the best team in the NBA, even without Steph, in my opinion. But um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how fast they bring him back if they get down, you know, one or two nothing or two to one in a series where they're facing a team like, I don't know, say San Antonio Advances with Kawhi, um, that type of team. I mean, there's not really too many teams in the West you are worried out outside of Houston, obviously, because they're all jumbled together right now. Or if I think Oklahoma is the only other team that's that could be elite out of the other uh, teams that are just in a big jumble right now because they seem like a team that could come together in the playoffs uh, with their big three plus mellow. Um and
0: <laughs> I see what you and, did there.
2: Thank you. And uh, you know, be able to uh, challenge uh, some of the better teams in the NBA based on matchups and their size and length. So I mean, if they if they face a team like OKC in the second round or even again the Spurs with Kawhi, they could run into problems if Curry's not fully healthy. And at that point, like, do you play him thirty minutes a game in the second game or third game when he's not quite ready, or do you continue to go with an offense that may not? be able to produce enough points to beat these teams if uh, Durant has too much on his shoulders and the rest of the guys are not pulling their weight.
1: Did you just say you think that Golden State is still better than Houston without Steph?
2: Yeah, I think that, the. I mean, Houston's still improving in the playoffs, right? So until they prove it, as big of a Chris Paul stand that I am, I still cannot take them over Golden State in the playoffs because Golden State has that experience and, and they still have Three, you know, super high-level players that have been there before. So you never know how the pressure is going to affect Houston when it comes time to maybe uh, face Golden State in the conference finals.
0: So, Josh, you're kind of saying that even in the current injury situation, you're still thinking that Golden State's going to come out of the West.
2: Yeah, I still think so. Um, but Houston obviously is an elite team. But, again, like, you, you have to be able to prove it in the playoffs before you pick them ahead of Golden State, even without Steph. I mean, even if Steph plays, like, limited minutes against Houston, I think they're, they would
1: still be the favorites, in my opinion.
0: Peter, your thoughts?
1: I think Golden State is still the favorite as well. I don't think it'll be... Definitely not be an easy series if if Steph isn't 100% at that point. I think it's easily going to 7 if not Houston takes it taking it in an upset. Like, right now, if Steph were... At eighty percent, I think that Golden State could take it. But if Steph isn't at you know 95 percent, Houston could easily walk away with it. Whoever you put on as your as your fifth starter, whether it be Iguodala or Livingston, there's still going to be something there that Houston will be able to exploit some way or another.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm actually going to go the other way and say that with the Curry's injury currently, I I think Houston has to be the favorites. Um, Golden State like missing one of their all-stars, one of the best shooters in NBA history is never easy. And um, I think the fact that they miss Curry, I still expect them to move on past round one, but it might take a little longer than they would like. And uh, there might be some doubt that starts to creep into their team um, because they weren't able to walk through the first round and dominate the way they can with Curry in the lineup. And I think unless Curry... Comes back and is able to really make an impact, like play over 25 minutes uh, on his return. I I think that he's going to be the reason why Golden State won't advance into the NBA Finals, and uh, it might be Houston's turn this year. But uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, in one month. Just switching it over to the Eastern Conference. Uh, big injury news coming out uh, Boston with Kyrie Irving. And uh, Peter, you want to update that on update us on that.
1: Okay, so Kyrie's been out for the past, how long has it been? Two weeks by now, I guess. Uh, with, what, what was the issue with his knee? Do you remember?
0: So he had soreness in his left knee that uh, didn't improve with rest. And earlier this month, in, uh, he got forced out of the game against Indiana. And uh, on Friday, he underwent minimally invasive procedure, uh, knee procedure. And they thought it would be roughly... Uh, like a short-term surgery but now it's ruled that he's going to be out for a minimum of three to six weeks
1: so at three to six weeks we're looking at we're looking at Kyrie coming back in what the end of April at the earliest so after the first round maybe the second round if they can make it there at this point
0: yeah let's say or like you'd miss the first round as well
1: yeah it's the same timetable as Steph yeah except that Boston's sole defense is reliant on Steph on uh, Kyrie sorry and, you know, now it'll just be focused around, what, Al Horford, Terry Rozier, and Marcus Smart? Or, uh, sorry, not Marcus Smart. What they here? Marcus Morris is who I'm thinking of. Yeah, Actually. it
2: looks like my hot take from a few weeks ago that Boston's going to lose in the first round is looking a lot more likely. But, uh, unfortunately it had to come at the cost of Kyrie being out, yeah, which nobody obviously wants to see, because everyone wants to see their teams at the... You know, at their best and at their healthiest. But uh, as of right now, like, they had a really tough time scoring with Kyrie in the lineup. And even though they've, you know, won a few games in the last uh, week or so that they probably were not favored to, um, I still think they're going to have, like, an extremely tough time uh, being able to score against most teams, even with, you know, home court advantage in the playoffs. Um, Even against a team like Miami, who's, you know, scored a lot of points recently. They've been even one of the top-scoring teams in the NBA in the last uh, month or so. Um, I think even keeping up with a team like them who is really deep and can you know switch different positions and be able to uh, switch on you know the big guys onto guys like Rogier and uh, Jalen Brown is going to give Boston a really hard time being able to score against uh, their length and athleticism if they face them in the first round, which is looking very likely right now based on how Milwaukee's playing as the eighth seed.
1: Yeah, and it looks like Boston's offense primarily this year and last year has, only, has been based around their point guard play, right, like an aggressive point guard who can lead the team in scoring, lead them down the stretch, pass it when he needs to or when he gets stuck, feed the big man, i.e. Al Horford, when you know he's open or for big cuts, but if that's how the offense is going to remain, it's going to be in the hands of Terry Rozier going down the stretch. It's great during the regular season, teams like Boston can do it with a lot of bench players to handle the load. Just because a lot of opposing coaches or scouting staff can't really plan for it, right, like you're planning for four games in a week, and the level of preparedness for it is very different than when you're solely focusing on the, in on one team. So at this point, they're just going to focus in on Rosier, make it just pressure the point guard as much as you can, and, you know, he's still a very young player. Hasn't had much responsibility over his three years in the league at this point. So he's going to, I think he's going to crumble under the pressure when it comes time.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. I look at like a team like Boston, a lot of their offense goes through the point guard, as you mentioned, and that position really helps facilitate um, other players to have a, a big impact. And without... Kyrie I I really think their offense is going to struggle and the fact that their inexperience is just going to compound on their injuries and um and they do have a few players coming back uh, before the end of the regular season um, but coming off of uh, a lengthy absence and kind of getting right to stride with your teammates isn't an easy task so um, I really believe that Boston um, is going to have a long series regardless of who they play and um, depending on who they play, they probably won't advance in the first round. Um, only kind of favorable matchup might be a team like Indiana, um, but it, that doesn't even look like it's going to happen with Indiana almost kind of locking up at least uh, a 4 5 uh, a four, five, six seed. So,
2: And Indiana would smoke them if they played in the playoffs because Indiana has a lot more scoring power, and they obviously have one of the best defenses in the NBA as well. But um, with Boston, I mean... In the playoffs, you need great coaching, defense, and hopefully to have the best player in the series. And they would have had that with Irving in most series against Eastern Conference teams. But now without him, they obviously have one of the best coaches in the NBA in Stevens. But again, if they play a team like Miami, which is looking very, very likely at this point, um, I'm not even sure if he's a better coach than Spolster, especially in the playoffs with Spolster's experience and you know winning a couple championships. And his ability to be able to take this Miami team to the playoffs this year, which is almost a miracle in itself, based on their talent level. I mean, they have a lot of guys, but um, just the way he's been able to bring them together, despite having so many injuries. Like a guy like Deion Waiters has been out for most of the year, who was like a big part of them being able to, uh, you know, stem the tide last year and being able to. I think they went 30 and 10 down the stretch last year with him just exploding and. Um, he's just been able to bring different guys in the lineup even like a guy like Bam Adebayo is starting for them now Kelly Olynyk, those guys have fit really well in the roles that's because of coaching obviously and again I think they just have way too much firepower if they were to play boss in the playoffs but boston's only chance in that not kind of serious would just be to grind it out and make the game like an 82 to 80 type of game which is you know it's possible i guess and they have home court so you never know but i probably wouldn't make them the favorite over any of the eastern conference teams right now no matter who they face mm-hmm.
0: speaking about eastern conference teams uh can we just talk about the box for a quick second because this is a team that has uh, a lot of talent they have talented players they uh they pushed the Raptors very hard last year. They were um, they were a team that I expected to be higher up in the standings than they are this year. And um, they're a team that has, I would argue, one of the best players in the game right now. And And they still really haven't put it together. Um, and I, honestly, I haven't seen that much of the Bucks play, but I, I can't really seem to figure it out.
2: Yeah, the issue with the Bucks has been just how disjointed their lineup is. I mean, a lot of people thought, including myself, that uh, their big four with Jabari, Giannis, um, Chris Middleton, and Bledsoe <laughs> all together. Finally being back in the lineup would be a really explosive type of lineup, but the weird thing is they don't play fast. And on offense, when they play together... It's just a really, like, you know, whoever gets the ball just sort of goes and does one thing with it without any movement or rhythm to their actions. And it just seems like a, whoever gets the ball is, is going to be a me offense. And now they brought in Brandon Jennings, who's also that type of player, too. So that doesn't really help too whoa, much, whoa, even whoa. though he's... relax,
1: not. relax. relax. <laughs> that Brandon Jennings, okay? He's probably been <laughs> their best, like, assist man since he got on. They
2: might as well just brought in Ellis with him. I'm surprised they didn't.
1: <laughs> Bring back the whole crew. Uh, seriously you're right though this team is very disjointed i I can't believe you call them a big four because I mean they're big physically but these guys do not even come close to qualifying as a big four Jabari Parker in his third year in the league is averaging like 11 points a game you know, yeah but he's also coming back
2: from injury too right like last year he played really well before his injury he was averaging like 18 points a game on really high percentages he started to shoot three well like he was showing a lot of promise last year.
1: Yeah, and then he got hurt, and all of his progress was delayed again. The guys had knee injuries every year of his career. Like, I loved him coming out of college, but it's hard to see his career developing into anything really substantial at this point. I mean, the the main issue with the team, you're right, is that they don't have any chemistry with each other. You would think that, especially between Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Jabari having played this long together, they would have a decent chemistry, but they're still... Just not. It's just not meshing, right? Like you'll get plays where Yana should be pushing the ball and he's slowing it down, or Chris Middleton should be swinging the ball and then just stops. And despite having such young athletic players, you're right. They don't play fast at all, and it's mainly because they can't really shoot that well, right? Aside from Chris Middleton, seems the team's second best shooter is who would you say? Bledsoe and Brogdon. Jed.
2: Who? Jason Terry probably. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, you're right. Yeah, I forgot the the Jeff on the team. Somehow he's like almost forty. They have no shooting whatsoever outside of three players. And like I was bashing on Philly early for it and I'm bashing on Milwaukee for the exact same reason. You can't really have a team with pace without shooting, right? Barty and Giannis have very similar games that they both need to be in the paint to score. And they're both not looking to pass right they're both looking to score
2: yeah at the same time though like that's a team you don't want to face in the playoffs still because they they're going to have the best player in the playoffs in most playoff series especially in the eastern conference um except for you know when they play cleveland obviously but um hey, you don't want to face the Toronto Raptors. oh yeah of course hey, the let, let,
0: is. <laughs> let's not be blasphemous here let's keep it together <laughs>
2: Which is probably going to happen anyway. We're going to see DeMar DeRozan versus Giannis. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of the Bucks, like I think in the first round, again, that's a team you don't want to face because they do have a lot of individual talent, like we've explained with those four guys. And they do have veterans that, you know, haven't exactly fit around these guys as of yet. But in the playoffs, it's a whole different game, and these guys are extremely long and athletic, and they can give a team, like, a, a ton of problems with their length if they play up to their potential. But... Obviously, in the regular season, they haven't shown it yet, but at the same time, they they showed a lot of promise last year in the regular season, and in the playoffs, they just turned it up to a whole nother level with their defense, especially against Toronto, and they almost won that series, so, I mean, with another year against a team that they're familiar with, which is, again, most likely going to be the matchup this year, like, you never know, because as a Raptor fan, again, like, I'm very, very scared about playing this team in the playoffs, despite their struggles this season, because they have... The type of players that give Toronto problems and like having a few different lengthy defenders to go against a Rosen you got a guy like Bledsoe that can play physical with Lowry the only big matchup that Toronto has in their favor is in the paint with uh, you know Valentinas and Pirtle and I wouldn't say Baca now because he's been absolutely <laughs> abominable the last well basically the entire year really but own. uh yeah, I mean, he's been awful, but uh, with the Bucks, I mean, again, they're a team that has a lot of pieces. It's just a matter of, you know, can they make it work in the playoffs?
0: Yeah, well, let's just get one thing straight. I think as a Raptors fan, you're probably pretty afraid of playing any team in the playoffs. um i wouldn't have much confidence going against many teams considering their history but we'll wait and see
2: oh my god Uh, yeah especially after the inevitable game one loss which again is coming this year which i'm going to avoid going to again
0: yeah i think that we're all going to at least agree here that the raps are going to lose their first playoff game yes um but we're gonna switch over to our next segment take it to the bank for our new listeners take it to the bank is where we drop our best hot takes and i'm actually going to take the lead on this one uh it might not be that big of a hot take but i think with all the adversity surrounding the Cavs, i think they sweep the first two rounds and make it to the eastern conference finals whoa
1: two rounds
0: yeah i i don't really see any of the teams that they're kind of lined up to play uh, in the first two rounds giving them that much trouble and especially knowing that Kevin Love's come back and he's added that extra offensive punch, uh, I think with LeBron's current level of play, they they are a team that could very easily walk their ways into the Eastern Conference Final. And depending on who they meet there, they might run into a bit of trouble. But uh, I think two, I think eight games, eight wins, and they're going to be uh, waiting for their opponent in the Eastern Conference Finals.
2: Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't really shock me if they did the same thing as last year in that, uh, I mean, they're not going to sweep through the first three rounds, but I think that this year, I mean, they we lost one game last year in the playoffs that they, again, should have won. That was a Marcus Smart game where he scored, I think, 35 points, or they almost swept through the first three rounds. But uh, the first two rounds, I mean, that's it's definitely possible because uh, in the second round, you're going to be facing, if they stay in the same bracket right now, they're going to be facing the, the Boston, or the winner of the Boston-Miami series. Uh, so whoever wins that, I mean, is going to be beat up because that's going to be like a grinded out type of series. And in the first round, if they get Washington, who still doesn't have Wall back, I mean, that could definitely be a sweep. Um, but if they get the Pacers, I mean, the Pacers are three zero against them this year. So I'm, I've been, you know, tooting the horn of the Pacers the last two weeks, and they've. They've played really well the last uh, couple months especially. I mean they've been the surprise of the entire year obviously but the last two months they've really turned it up and they've shown that they are a legitimate playoff team and they match up really well with the Cavs so I think the Cavs are hoping that they don't get the Pacers in the first round just based on the matchup itself. I know they're probably still going to win but I think the Pacers match up uh, the best of maybe any team against uh, the Cavs.
0: Who would have thought that at the beginning of this season? I know it's crazy. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, fortunately for uh, Cleveland, the Pacers are like two and a half games ahead of the six seed, so I don't think that they'll have any issues of falling back, but I don't see this happening. I mean, a clean sweep of the first and second round. In years past, it was much more plausible this year. As long as Washington is in decent health coming into the first round, I think they'll be okay to at least push the series to six games. Uh, I'm clearly not the biggest fan of this Cleveland team with The lack of any defensive players outside of, Uh, no, that's right, nobody. Nobody on that team can play defense other than an injured Larry Nance. Going up against a Washington team, John Wall is participating in full contact practices right now. He should be back within the next week. He's going to be fully rested, and I think he's just going to abuse every Cleveland guard going forward. And I think he can carry them to at least two or three weeks if not more. I
2: think as of right now, I think the matchups as is, is what a lot of people, including myself, I think we're hoping for, because Washington's been talking a lot of crap about facing Cleveland in the playoffs. That's the one matchup they want, because they know they're better than the Cavs. And yet every year they lose before (laughs) they're able to play the Cavs. So if they finally get their wish in the first round, that'd be amazing. That'd be an awesome series if Wall's back, especially, and they can try and, you know, finally prove themselves. And you know talk is cheap, obviously. So now it's time to, to walk the walk, and hopefully they're they are able to, because that'd be a very interesting series if again Wall is
1: back and healthy. Yeah, I kind of wish Vince still had a good point guard, because John Wall is one of those guys who's always comparing himself to other players. Like remember when uh, Reggie Jackson got his big contract extension, and John Wall was like, "What? Really? This guy makes this much money, and I'm getting I'm getting so much less." Uh, he really takes it out on other point guards. That being said, he has no reason to try to abuse George Hill or Jose Calderon, because clearly they're not being paid as much as he is, they're not not even close to the same skill level as he is. So he may hold back a bit, but as long as he's healthy, he's going to be rested for like two months at this point, he's going to be on fire. I also think that he has a tendency to burn out in the later rounds, so if he's fresh, man, he's... He's going to be lethal in that first round. I, I can see Cleveland getting beaten the first round by Washington.
2: Yeah, I mean, if he comes back healthy, he has the narrative that, you know, his own team has, uh, you know, not so eloquently said that they think that he, they're better off without him, at least in the first couple of weeks after the injury. There was a lot of rumblings about that, that the team just flowed better without him. They were the best passing team in the league for about a month uh, without him in terms of assists per game and uh, in terms of passes per game, too. But I think this this whole this injury situation has actually helped them because it's brought um, a player in Tomas Sadaransky that um, has proven himself as a very quality backup point guard at least and a guy that can play 25 30 minutes a game without you know really hurting your team. A guy that can play really good defense and he plays really well with uh, with Beal and Morris especially. So I mean, in having that guy come off your bench as well as Ubre, and then you got you know you don't really have a lot beyond that but you will need more than seven guys in the playoffs probably not and honestly if wall is back like they match up pretty well with cleveland but if he's not back and healthy like raj said they might just absolutely obliterate them because lebron with uh kevin lovett center is a formula to score a ton of points and washington will not be able to keep up with unless wall is healthy
0: and that's a huge if like at the end of the day wall has had his injury concerns Uh, we talked about Staff and Kyrie coming back after long injury absences and kind of getting off on the right foot. I, I don't think it's easy. And again, huge if, if Wall is healthy. And my money's still on LeBron and the Cavs winning the first two games at home. And there might be a close game three. And if the Cavs are able to pull through like I think they will, it's going to be all and over. And game four is just going to be kind of a formality. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, I'm gonna let uh, Peter you're gonna have the chance to maybe drop your hot take
1: oh my hot take I think that the Minnesota Timberwolves could advance to the second round if they match up with the Warriors uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I'm going real deep man <laughs> oh wow the hottest
2: of takes you need to rename this segment man it's no <laughs> longer hot take it's like it's not even scorching
1: anymore oh, just perfect. like earth just it. craziness no, but seriously, uh, <laughs> so Cat has owned them for the past, like, three, how long has he been in, like, two years? Three years? Yeah, but when you say own, he's owned the individual matchup, but they still haven't won the games. That's fine. He doesn't need to. This team is different now, man. I believe in Minnesota, as long as Jimmy Butler is healthy. And he's supposed to come back this week, maybe next on most, right?
2: Yeah, he's supposed to come back with a couple games left, maybe two or three games left in the regular season.
1: Yeah, man, you got Jimmy Butler playing like 45 minutes a game against KD. That's fine. You know, he'll hold KD down to like 22 points a game. Steph won't be <laughs> a concern, so Jeff Teague's awful defense won't be an issue because he'll just have to face guard uh, who Quinn Cook, maybe Sean Livingston. You got Andrew Wiggins and Clay, which should be an interesting matchup with like both guys being really long players Andrew Wiggins clearly has shown that you know he's not as quote unquote hungry as other guys can be which is quite the concern but you know maybe in the playoffs he turns it up a bit more and plays 48 minutes a game instead of 46 you know and then you got my boy Taj Gibson who's just a great great uh, all-around player good all-around player not great good all-around player.
0: Peter, how many times did you go on NBA 2K and simulate this matchup before you were just convinced that it was going to work?
1: Yo, Minnesota is a great 2K team, okay? That's all I'm saying. And so
2: how many many edibles did you take before (laughs) starting this
1: podcast? (laughs) No, man. Okay, can you not see them at least pushing it to six?
2: No. <laughs> really? Like, based on the way they play defense this year, like, it doesn't really matter no what they do. Like, they're not going to be able to even come close to stopping KD. And the Warriors' offense will be fine against a team like Minnesota who doesn't play any defense.
1: Yeah, you're right. Inside. Uh, I don't know, man.
2: I mean, I get where you're coming from, where, like, Minnesota matches up well in terms of their guys being able to score pretty easily in a matchup the- where you don't think they would, but... At the same time, like they don't really play any defense, and they haven't shown any propensity to play. Even with Jimmy Butler in the lineup, they haven't like played any good defense at all, and uh, they don't play lineups with Bealisa enough at power forward either, which is their best lineup. And uh, Thibodeau will not play him in the playoffs over Taj Gibson either, so you're going to see their starters play a ton of minutes and tire themselves out where the Warriors just run circles around them.
1: I think Minnesota's individual matchups are actually more in their favor, but as a team... Golden State is obviously the, like, a better unit, right? Yeah. So that would be the main issue, especially if SEPTA is, isn't there, man. I mean, that means that Minnesota's locked up the one the one and the five matchups pretty handily. I, mean, I think a- the only way that your take makes sense is if
2: Wiggins shows something that he hasn't shown yet and that he shows that he has like true heart and he actually shows that he can be an elite-level player. Which he shows flashes of every once in a while But he never really puts it all together Especially like on defense Because he's been torched by almost everybody this year Even despite getting his massive contract And telling, you know, the Timberwolves owner That he's going to be the guy who improves And be able to earn his contract And then two seconds later he gets it Because the owner believes him for some stupid reason
1: he's just trying I mean,
2: I harder. love to it, it But,
1: you know, <laughs> he's been bad this year I don't know. I think he pulls out at least two games against Golden State, where he's an above-average player, which might be all that they need. Two
0: home yeah, games. Yeah, but you're 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 basing a lot on this. You're basing your hot take a lot on Butler coming back healthy, right?
1: Yeah, there's still three weeks until the playoffs start.
0: Yeah, but Butler's expecting to return before the playoffs, and that's kind of his own expectation. Yes, he could come, but I think the Timberwolves have been pretty quiet about that, and I think based on the importance of the player he is, and depending on the matchup they get, I think they're going to be cautious with him. And again, a player... No, 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 no,
1: no, no, no,
2: no. No, 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 okay, that that take is a lot harder. The Timberwolves will not be
1: cautious
2: with any
1: of their players. Let's be real. If Timbs could play Jimmy Butler 50 minutes a game, he would.
0: I forgot about Tom Thibodeau, I take that back. (laughs) Any other franchise would be cautious. But the Wolves, I take that back
2: Also, if the Wolves didn't have any Trainers or medical staff, and it was just like a Street game, Jimmy Butler would be playing right now Easily.
1: Easily Jimmy Butler would put himself on the floor He doesn't even need Tibbs to put him on the floor That's the issue, is that he's as okay, crazy you as Tibbs Just
2: pull out Paul Pierce's wheelchair And get out there for sure
1: <laughs> Wheel me out, Nemanja I need I need a hand
2: <laughs> Seriously because He ain't going to get on the court, so I might as well do something
1: yeah, I think he's going to come back fine. The same way I think Wall's going to come back fine. These guys have been sitting since. Wall's been sitting since before the All-Star break. Butler sat literally the All-Star game onwards. So I think that with these guys taking this much time off, it'll give them more than enough time to heal up and rest.
2: The only issue is with Butler, especially, and the, the meniscus injury, um, guys who get surgery instead of just resting. Um, you know, the meniscus injury, like, they often have their careers halted at a much earlier age than expected. I think Dwayne Wade is one of the only guys, I mean, he's, what, 33, 34 right now, that has been going strong past the age of 32 after getting surgery on his meniscus because it apparently, like, really um, tempers your expectations in terms of having a long career as your knees eventually just, just wear down, really. And especially with Butler playing under Tibbs, like, that's a really, that's probably the worst-case scenario for him coming back. Because, again, Tibbs is not going to put a minutes restriction on him. Or you wouldn't think he would, anyway, based on his history.
0: All right, Josh, I want to hear your hot take.
2: Uh, My hot take for this week, I guess, would be going back to the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm going to say that they are again... Actually, no, not again. I guess this year they're going to go even further. They're going to take the Raptors to seven games in the first round. And everybody in Toronto is going to collectively, um, you know, just clamp up and uh, be scared shitless come Game 7 back in Toronto. I think Toronto is going to have a really tough time, again, against a Milwaukee team that is one year more experienced. They're more talented this year and having bled. So I know, again, we've talked about this and that the parts don't really fit as of yet. But in the playoffs, defense matters. And they have a lot of long-range guys that match up well against Toronto. And uh, obviously Giannis was a huge problem for them last year. He looked totally unstoppable against everybody. He dunked on Ibaka multiple times, and they really have nobody to guard him. Like you can't expect a guy like that and nobody to be able to guard him. He's probably the best matchup against Giannis. And uh, I don't think that uh, Toronto is going to have the easiest time come round one.
1: Can, can we relax? No problem with, with that. Can we relax with thinking that Milwaukee is a good team?
2: I'm show. not saying they're a good team. I'm saying they're going to give Toronto a lot of problems based on the matchups.
1: Yeah, they will give them a lot of problems. But you're also negating the fact that Toronto has a top five defense this year, and Milwaukee already struggles to score, right? You're negating that Toronto has four or five, if you want to say Bebe as a player, but four big men who can occupy the paint and stop or at least slow down Giannis whenever he's coming in, right? It's nah, amazing. I
2: don't know about that. I think based on last year's playoffs, I don't think you can say that. Because Giannis just had his way with Toronto the entire playoffs.
1: You know what? He keep hacking them. That's all I can say. Keeps He's been of
2: a decent free-throw shooter this year, though. Keeps and then if you keep them. hacking him, then your matchup's totally changed, too, right? Because then you got a guy like Valanciunas, who should dominate the matchup out of the game. Ibaka out of the game, which is probably a good thing for them. Yes. But... Uh, yeah. It just changes the entire matchup if your team's in the penalty the entire game as well, right? It
1: will, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think you're underestimating how much the Toronto young guys have developed as well. Not to the point that they're able to defend Giannis, but Pascal Siakam is a pretty good defender. I mean, he's very versatile. He's got great lateral movement. He's athletic as hell, he's super long he's probably the main guy that they would have matching up against Giannis rather than Ananobi, to be honest. And if he plays instead of Serge, then so be it, and they might actually have a real chance at stopping him.
2: Yeah, I think their best chance against Milwaukee is not really stopping Giannis, but stopping the other guys. But um, at the same time, like, Milwaukee has more talent this year around Giannis, and again, Giannis took them to six games last year without a guy like Tabari and Bledsoe. Um, and even though Milwaukee doesn't have the depth To match up with Toronto's bench Which is like their biggest issue Besides, you know, Valanchunas in in, in, the, in the lane But uh, I, I think that Milwaukee's going to give them A ton of problems Especially defensively uh, Being able to throw multiple guys at uh, Again, DeRozan and Lowry And just the, the playoff pressure as the favorite Just hasn't treated Toronto well And I think that's sh- shown over the course Of the you know the past three seasons and I think after they inevitably lose Game 1 again, I think this is going to go to seven games.
0: Well, that I think is a bit of a hot take. I think that overall the Raps are still a, a much superior team. And as you mentioned before, the matchups could give the Raps trouble and they will lose Game 1. Um, I, 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 Hold <laughs> well, on. How do we I,
1: think I, that Milwaukee can shoot? How is this a thing?
0: But but it's, it's not the fact that Milwaukee is going to come into... No,
1: they need to score With the, the ball. ACC
0: and but the raps are gonna choke like in game one DeRozan and Lowry are not scoring over 40 points combined. Like it oh, m- maybe
1: take that, I'll take that. bet. I'll, I won't
2: I think that bet. I think you have to go back to last year's playoffs so because most of the first few games were very ugly games, right? I think uh, game four or game five, I think the score was like 88 to sixty two in one of the games like late in the fourth quarter. so where Milwaukee was just destroying Toronto. Most of those games are low-scoring games, and the playoffs, like, it's going to be a very uh, rough and tumble game, I think, especially with those teams and how they play. Like Milwaukee plays a very slow pace, and I think that um, with their length and athleticism, I think they're going to be able to slow down the pace and you know play at uh, at their level versus Toronto.
1: I think they'll mm-hmm. slow it down. I can't see them. I, I still can't see them scoring enough to actually win games. It's not the fact that they can't stop Toronto or slow Toronto down. It's that they still have to match up and score on the other end. And I just don't think they can. I don't see, aside from Giannis and Bledsoe, like scoring or creating their own shots. There's not, like, Milton can't create his own shots, right? Like, he's going to take one, two steps and then pull up. Who else is there? Brogdon is pretty negligible this year. Jabari, you keep touting how good he is, but he's like he's been good with Brandon Jennings, but I don't know. Aside from that, those like three or four guys, I mean, they're not going to score that much. Giannis has got to go for like forty a game to win the series or even get it to seven. I'd say I think it's over in six if it goes like six at the most if it's a Toronto Milwaukee matchup.
2: Yeah, I know that Toronto's improved a lot this year versus last. But, again, like last year, it was basically Giannis by himself with uh, Middleton that was coming back from injury. And, again, they didn't have Jabari and Bledsoe. And and Brogdon was obviously in his first year, so he was a very inexperienced guard. So, I mean, if I get him back, too, I totally forgot about. You have five guys that can score the basketball. And then you got, you know, Jet off the bench, who, again, he's not... He's not the guy that you want to be counting on To play a ton of minutes But he has a lot of playoff experience And he has hit a ton of big shots Including one in the regular season so far Against Toronto to beat them So um, I don't know I just don't think that's the team you want to play against In the first round They're going to give Toronto problems But I guess we'll have to wait and see in a couple weeks Because again that's probably going to be the matchup Based on uh, the standings right now And that Milwaukee I think is two games behind Miami right now
1: No they're even Are they? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're even, even after
2: today. they're still behind. Yeah. Okay.
1: No, 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 no. That's what I mean. It might not even end up like that. To be honest, if it's Milwaukee Boston, say Milwaukee gets the upset and then plays Cleveland in the second round, that could be very interesting. Right? Like a giannis uh, LeBron series, that would be that would be more worrisome than a Milwaukee Toronto series for the favorite.
0: We'll have to see Peter, but you know what? When it comes to playoff time, I'm going to take that bet. That you asked me oh, to, and easily. I'm not going to back down. Easily. We'll see. Game one, wraps. Uh, wraps, Bucks. Wraps, Miami. I don't think Lowry and DeRozan combined are going to get over 40 points.
1: Oh, against Miami? Uh, uh, no problem.
0: Okay, we'll no see. No problem. All right, All right we're going to move on to our no- uh, our next segment, uh, which is back in the vault. Shut up and sit down. So, for our listeners here, Back in the Vault is a segment where we bring up a player, current or former, who had a special place in basketball. And this week, we're going to be talking about. Peter, you can announce this one.
1: It's my main man, Rashid Wallace, baby. It's uh, one of the first guys to be known as the stretch forward for his team. Came in in, what, the 96 season, I guess? And uh, at his peak, was touted as one of the best power forwards in the game. Couldn't be stopped by anyone bigger or smaller than him. I mean, stretched the floor, could play the post game really well. Was an amazing defender, who was obviously on my '04 4 Pistons team. So, you know, I love the guy. He's just a, just a solid NBA player.
2: Yeah, he's a guy, I love Rashid Wallace as well, but he should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer at the same time. He had the level of talent the same as, you know, Chris Webber, Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, those types of players. But he just never fully committed to, uh, you know, being the guy on the team, which is fine. I mean, he still had an amazing career as a guy who was probably one of the better, you know, glue guys, I guess you could say, in the NBA because he just did everything on the floor. But he should have been a guy that you could just throw the ball into every game and he could, you know, lead you to victory, which he did for a good portion of his time in Portland. And then it seemed like after the 2000 season when um, they lost to the Lakers in that, you know, just gut-wrenching Game 7 where they're up, I think, 18 points in the third quarter. And then there's that famous Kobe Bryant to Shaquille O'Neal-Aliou, but that just sealed the start of their dynasty. Um, I felt like after that, she just sort of changed as a player instead of being like the guy. On uh, a team that was um, obviously super talented, he just turned into a guy that just wanted to be one of the guys, which again was perfectly fine. But I think he just had the talent level to be um, a guy who could have been an all-timer and all, an all, you know, a Hall of Famer, um, one of the better big men of all time, because he had all the skills. Like, he could shoot threes, he could rebound. His post game was very underrated. Nobody could stop his, you know, turnaround over the right shoulder. And he he was one of the only guys again that could like really give any of the better big men in the NBA problems in the post. Guys like KG and Tim Duncan couldn't stop him. But uh, he chose to be a guy that takes you know eight to ten shots a game, and plays great defense, and hits open shots versus being the guy that was the guy.
0: I also think that had to do a lot with him being on a very good Detroit Pistons team where they had scoring all over the court uh, and it was a team that was a, a team that gelled so well together. And I think he fit in his role perfectly and he, he did his job well. And I think I remember watching the Pistons in 05. And when I think of that team, I think of like a proper NBA team that can play both sides of the ball. That's not kind of too reliant on one individual player. Everyone seems to kind of help each other and compliment. And uh, Rashid Wallace was probably one of the most integral parts of that team because he was a unique player. Not many players in the NBA um, could do what he did at the level he did it at.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, they got him at the trade deadline after he played one game in Atlanta. Uh, he came into the team and just meshed in perfectly, right? Like, like we've all said, he j- just fit into the team. He didn't try to be bigger than the team itself. He just did whatever they needed. He scored whenever they needed him to, which was the craziest part. Uh, there was still a game. I forget what game it was in the 0-4 finals when they were playing against the Lakers, and he just like completely dummied Slava Medvedenko. I mean, it's not the biggest feat to do to dummy Slava Medvedenko, but he essentially just won them that game. I think it was game three or four, and sort of just like sealed the deal for Detroit. Right, like it showed that, that they actually meant business, and the front court of him and Ben Wallace together were one of the best front courts of the time and you know he's just one of those dudes that people just love. His teammates all adored him. He used to tip out the towel boys like a couple hundred bucks a game kind of thing. Like this guy was for the people. When Flint, Michigan, or I guess they still are, but when the first issue arrives when Flint's water supply was completely polluted, Rasheed Wallace, without telling anybody, just rolled up in a giant truck with like two fours of water and started handing them out to people didn't tell anyone until like a reporter covering another story came by and was like oh well that's Rashid Wallace over there and then that's how the story came out you know what I mean like he's just one of those good dudes and you can see it even when he's on KG's like Area 21 he still dresses the exact same as in like 04 I swear he still got like the same UNC clothes that he that he finished like college in so yeah he's just one of those dudes that everyone just wants to befriend
0: yeah also he just seemed like a player that was a basketball player like he seemed like he really loved to ball and it wasn't about at the time, social media obviously didn't have a big of an influence as it does now, but, uh, he seemed like someone who just loved to play basketball, uh, loved to be on the court, loved to be around fellow NBA players and truly a good guy. I think we're all going to remember, uh, the incident, um, that at least I'm going to remember Rasheed Wallace for, uh, at the palace. And, uh, Can't forget that one either.
2: I feel like, though, at the same time, going back to my point, I think that he's one of the only guys in NBA history that I think you can still see as um, undervalued, but yet totally underwhelmed by when you watch him play. Because I just feel like he had so much more that he could have done to the game and with the game that he didn't. I mean, like nobody considers him a possible Hall of Famer, which is crazy. He's won a championship. He's had a great run but do you really consider him to be a hall of famer looking at his career probably not and when you look at his talent level he should have absolutely been a first ballot hall of famer but again he just chose to be one of the guys instead of you know bringing his game out and being able to be a guy that averaged 22 and 12 every game which is something he could have easily done if he put his mind to it he just didn't really have the mentality for it it's sort of like the same case as uh, like a lot of people see Vince Carter Vince Carter is obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer, but at the same time, people saw his talent level and said this guy could be the next Kobe or MJ, and he he could have been based on his talent level and you know what he showed in his first few years. But he chose a different route and he chose to be you know a second fiddle type of guy, or a guy that didn't really want to take the lead for you know being the franchise level type of talent. I feel like Sheed sort of took the same type of route, and uh, he could have been just a lot better than he was.
1: Yeah, can we also just remember that Rashid Wallace took a left-handed three-pointer in an NBA game on consecutive possessions? Like, that's badass, man. I don't care who you are in the league. That's badass as hell.
2: Uh, yeah, he made it cool, and then Kobe copied him like Kobe copies everybody.
1: <laughs> wow. This is rude, man. Also, you know... Of course, that big smell from Rashid. everyone's going to love it. The bold spot, you know, the tagline of them all, bottle lie.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's one thing he's always going to be remembered for. At least he left a stamp on the game that way, and that uh, he's always going to have a saying that lives on for eternity.
1: Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah. his 41 text will never be broken again, of course. 41 texts in a year, the only player to get even close to that, I think, was Antoine Walker with like 20-something. So Rashid definitely left his mark in the game in more ways than one.
2: For sure. But I would put money on DeMarcus Cousins eventually uh, surpassing him in terms of techs on a year. If he comes back healthy. 41?
1: No way.
0: 41 is the... That's one for every home the game. the one
2: guy that could do it.
0: <laughs> one for every home game.
2: <laughs> would it shock you with DeMarcus? No, I wouldn't be shocked. Oh, man. I,
0: it,
2: no, go it would. 41
0: All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of Stretch 4. Um, And again, thanks for joining us today. Remember to rate, subscribe, and leave us some comments. And if you have any questions, you can shoot us an email at stretch4pod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at stretch4pod. Hope to see you next week. Take care, folks.